I, I do want to acknowledge and thank our friends at AACF, Asian American Christian Fellowship, for leading us in worship. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, really appreciate your leadership here today. If you, were, uh, if you happened to be at the BJC for THON yesterday at around, I don't know, like 3 o'clock or so, uh, you would have seen our worship deaconess, El, uh, not Elmer, Emily Snow, and Elmer, one of our worship team members, um, performing a couple of songs. And so they're, they're tied up with Thon this morning, so they're not able to be with us. And so we're especially thankful for our friends at AACF for leading us this morning and, and their ministry. So for those of you who are new, you're joining us here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and it's my delight to bring God's Word to you here this morning. We are currently working through this series, this sermon series that we've been in for the better part of this semester called Teach Us to Pray. And we've been focusing our attention on a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open up there now, Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew 6, we find a prayer that, that churches and Christians everywhere have been memorizing and reciting together for the last 2,000 plus years. And it's a prayer that we've been taking a closer look at in the last several weeks. And we've been reading it over and over again. Uh, throughout the course of the series. In fact, we're going to read it again today. No surprise there. We're going to go back to Matthew 6 and look at what is known as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer. And throughout the course of the series, we've been, we've been taking it line by line and unpacking what Jesus was teaching us in, in this incredibly rich and profound prayer. You know, sometimes I think we look at the Lord's Prayer and we're like, that's, a, that's, a, that's an ancient prayer, that's a traditional prayer, that's like, you know, I grew up reciting that prayer in the church and all of these, I've heard of that prayer. And so sometimes I think it's easy for us to dismiss the Lord's Prayer and yet this is the very prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when his disciples said, Lord. We want to pray like you pray. So teach us to pray. And so we've been going line by line, and we're, gonna, uh, we're coming to the tail end of the series. In fact, we're going to wrap up the series next week with the final part of this prayer. But for now, I want to invite Alex back up here to read this prayer for us. The passage we're looking at is in Matthew 6, and we'll also have the text up here on the screen as well to look along with us. And so turn over to Matthew 6, verse 9 through 15 here. So Matthew 6, 9 through 15 says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Uh, friends, the line we're going to focus in on this morning is verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what's interesting about this specific line is Jesus adds this extra commentary at the end of this passage in verses 14 and 15, if you noticed, right? These two verses are not technically part of the Lord's Prayer. No one really recites verses 14 and 15. That's not traditionally part of the, the prayer, but they are clearly linked to the prayer, specifically to verse 12. Now, what's interesting about this is Jesus doesn't do this with any other part of the Lord's Prayer. 
He, he doesn't do this with any, he doesn't add any commentary or any additional footnotes to any section of the Lord's Prayer. It's almost as if Jesus finishes teaching the prayer to his disciples and he circles back around to verse 12 and he's like, hey guys, remember what I said just a couple of lines ago? Don't miss that. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying here, guys. Now, why does he do that? Why, why, why do you think Jesus includes this sort of footnote at the end in verses 14 and 15. Well, I think it's because Jesus knows more than anyone else the condition of the human heart, and he knows just how truly difficult it is for us as humans to forgive one another. I want to talk to you today for a few moments about the power of forgiveness. You see, the truth is, for most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, when we, when we think about moments when we are wronged or harmed or offended, our natural propensity is not actually to lean towards forgiveness. That's not in our natural human condition in terms of responsiveness. Now, listen, you might, you might not be a fighter. You might be a lover, and your tendency might be not to fight back, per se, when you're offended or harmed or hurt. But I know the vast majority of us might not fight back, but we'll withhold forgiveness till our dying breath. We might not fight back, but we'll withhold forgiveness until our last days. Withholding forgiveness becomes oftentimes our knee-jerk reaction whenever we are hurt or offended by someone. In fact, Malcolm Gladwell, best-selling author and thought leader of our time, he made a very poignant social commentary recently. He suggested that the, the reason cancel culture exists is because forgiveness does not. He said the, the reason why cancel culture exists in our world and our society today is because forgiveness does not. When someone is offended, forgiveness is not even an option on the table anymore. It's like no, no, no one talks about forgiveness, right? Immediately, if someone is, is offended, immediately the offender is canceled, and when you think about what cancel culture does, think about this for a moment. I'm not going to unpack this in, in a whole lot of detail, but, but cancel culture creates a, really a chasm between the two parties that really nothing, nothing seems to be able to reconcile that distance between the two parties. Cancel culture says, I'm going to distance myself from you, the offender, the perpetrator. The, you know, I'm going to distance myself from you as far as I can. I want no part with you. I want, I want to have nothing to do with you. I never want to be associated with you. That's what cancel culture does. It creates this chasm between two parties. Prayer. Prayer does the very opposite, doesn't it? Prayer is not about creating distance, but prayer is about closing the distance. Prayer is about drawing near to God. When we're singing these songs in this morning's service, it's not just, it's not just a karaoke time. It's not a time to just sing along. It's, it's a time to draw near to God where, where when we pray, we're praying that heaven would close in the gap between heaven and earth. We're praying for this sort of closing of the distance. We're drawing closer to God, not creating distance. But the only way, the only way that gap is able to be closed is if forgiveness is on the table. See, the issue of forgiveness, believe it or not, friends, affects our prayer lives in more ways than we may realize. 
Forgiveness impacts our prayer lives in more profound ways than we may actually realize. And I think that's why Jesus circles back around to this at the end of the Lord's Prayer, because it's that important. Forgiveness impacts our prayer lives in deep and significant ways. But in order to understand how, so we are asking, like, how? I get the concept of forgiveness. I get cancel culture. I get the distance, closing gap. I get all of that. But how does that impact my prayer life? In order to understand how, we need to understand a few things about forgiveness. And I want to just unpack just a few quick things here this morning and, and, and spend just a few moments in prayer in this light. Number one, forgiveness is a gift. If you understand anything about forgiveness, you need to understand this, that forgiveness at its very core is a gift. It's a gift that we receive, and it's a gift that we impart. It's a gift that we receive, and it's a gift that we impart. Now, I want to focus on the first part just for a second, the receiving part. Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. And again, listen, unless... God forgives us, we cannot close the distance between us and God. If prayer is about closing the gap between heaven and earth, and prayer is about closing that distance between us and God, it only happens through forgiveness. It's only through God's forgiveness that we can draw near to God. But the question is, why do you and I need forgiveness? I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to do like a, a theology crash, crash course here just real quickly. Like, why in the world do we need forgiveness in the first place? Why does Jesus teach us to pray in this part of the prayer, Lord, forgive us, forgive us our debts. What debts are we talking about here? Now, a debt, you know this, is very simply something that is owed to someone. That's what a debt is. So if I lend you money, you are indebted to me. You owe me my money. You owe me something. And so if, if, if debt is something that is owed to someone, the question is, what do we owe God that requires forgiveness? What, what is this debt that we owe? What do we owe God? How are we indebted to him? Well, very simply, we owe him the payment that sin demands. Well, now, what is sin? Just follow with me for a second, okay? This is... This, Thought train will end soon. Sin is any time, any place, anywhere we fall short of God's standards. Any time, any place, anywhere we fall short of God's standards. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we established early on in this prayer, God is holy. He is like none other, which means that his standards are holy and like none other. They are incredibly high. The standards of God are so high that even the most righteous man or woman on earth Think about whomever that might be, just like think about the most righteous man or woman on earth, even the most morally upright person, even the most upstanding citizen with pristine character and integrity would fall so far short of the glory of God that it really leaves none of us free from the payment of sin. I mean, if, it's, if we're talking about like the most morally upstanding person, the, the, the man or woman that, that lives out of a place of perpetual integrity, and if they fall so far short of God's standards, where does that place us? Where does that place you? Where does that place me? I mean, just, just think about this for a moment. Have you ever done anything wrong or questionable or something that lacked integrity? Just, just any moment in, life, in your life. Just, just, just think about maybe one. Congratulations, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Just one. Just, that's all it takes. Have you ever had 
an inappropriate thought, a thought that wasn't particularly honoring to God or honoring to someone else? Have you ever caused harm to someone with your words or your actions or your deeds? Have you ever been dishonest, maybe even a little deceptive, perhaps a little hypocritical? I know I have. I've done all of these things, and I'm talking about just in the last week. I'm not, I'm not even talking about like, yeah, you know, I, I had this moment, this one time when I was seven years old, when I, it's like, no, just this last seven days, I've fallen short of the glory of God. You see, none of us, even the most upright, are free from the payment of sin. We are all indebted. But now, why does sin require payment? Now, this speaks to the character of God. If you don't understand the character of God, you don't understand payment of sin. God is holy and his standards are high. We fall short of the glory of God. But not only that, you also need to know that God is perfectly just. He is perfectly just. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, we have the text up here, so you don't need to turn there. Um, it, it says, the rock, not speaking of Dwayne, the rock Johnson, just to be clear, the rock, God Almighty, El Shaddai, Adonai, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God is perfectly just, and perfect justice requires payment for wrong. Perfect justice requires payment for wrong. That is the definition of true justice. Now, we don't always see justice served on this side of heaven, do we? If you've been paying attention to the headlines at all in the last decade, you realize that, that we see all kinds of injustices all around us. Wrongs that have been done that have gone by unchecked. And we as a society outrage at the injustice, and, and rightly so. You see, friends, that is not the case with God. It is not in God's nature to act unjustly or to let wrongs go by unchecked which is why he required a payment for our sins. He cannot let wrongs go by without being checked. That would violate his very nature. He, he, he couldn't do that. It's not in his nature to do that. That's not who God is. He is perfectly just. So he requires this payment for sin. But then now God does the unthinkable. God comes in the flesh to take our debts that we owed him and he wipes the slate clean and he pays that debt himself. Because again, he, he, because he's perfectly just, you, got, you need to know this, he can't just let it go. He can't just, ah, forget it. We're good. That's not what he does. That, that's not justice. That's dismissal. Dismissal is different from justice. Because God is perfectly just, God doesn't just let it go. There's a cost to be paid for forgiveness. And in this case, the cost was the life of a perfect, innocent man. The cost was a man who truly had no sins, who lived perfectly righteous and moral and upright, a man of perfect moral character, a man who stood in our place to pay the debt that we owe that we could never pay on our own. Jesus gave his very life so that we can receive the gift of forgiveness. See, forgiveness 
is a gift. Is that, just, just so you know, that's gospel one-on-one stuff right there. If you didn't know, like, that, that is gospel one-on-one. That's the basic of the good news of the Christian faith. And now this is where we come to our second point, that the, the beauty of this gift begins to unfold in just glorious ways. And we see that forgiveness, forgiveness is not only a gift, but forgiveness restores relationships. Our relationship with God is restored because of the gift of forgiveness. But, and we get that, right? Like, forgiveness is granted to us as a gift from God in Christ Jesus through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. We are now brought into restoration with God. We are brought into right stand. That, again, that gap between heaven and earth closes just a little bit more because of this gift of forgiveness that we have received. It restores our relationship with God. But then get this, Jesus prays, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The assumption that Jesus was working off of here is the gift of forgiveness is not only to be received, but it is also to be given. See, there's this inextricable tie between our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with one another. The people in your row, there's this direct tie between this, this, this horizontal relationship that we have one to another and our vertical relationship with God. The truth is, Many of us tend to boil down our Christian faith and our Christian life to a vertical-only kind of relationship with God. It's a spiritual relationship. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, my, it's my religious sort of activities that I do. It's, it's, it's this way and, and, and only this way. I mean, I, I can't tell you. I've, I've heard people say, the church will be a glorious place if it weren't for all the people. You know, it's like the people mess up the church. I can't stand the people in the church. Me and God, we're great, but I can't stand people. And there's this woven message in the Christian life that it's all about me and God. Just you and me, God. Forget the rest of the world. I don't need anybody else. People are bad, you're good. People disappoint me, you never disappoint me. People family, God, you never family. And friends, there is a bit of truth in that. But if you were to put that logic up against the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus teaches us, you begin to see that that way of thinking is a terribly flawed way of logic. Because God doesn't just call us to union with Him. He calls us then to unite one to another out of this place of union with Him. He calls us to oneness with each other. Have you read John 17 recently? He calls us to unity within the body, oneness in Christ. You see, we've got to understand that the degree of unity we achieve with one another is directly correlated with our union with God. When Jesus teaches us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Like, wouldn't it be easy just to say, forgive us our debts, and God, I know you will. God, I know you're faithful to forgive us our debts, but then he adds in this little clause, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he reinforces that in verses 14 and 15. Friends, you gotta see this. He's hitting us with a sobering reality. He's saying, hey, people of God, take inventory of the relationships in your life. In fact, you could even do that right now. If you have a stream of broken relationships behind you, burned bridges behind you, any disunity and dissension that you are a part of at the current stage of your life, any disruption to the unity of the body of Christ, if you have unreconciled relationships 
in your life. And what do I mean by unreconciled relationships? It's that person you see across the aisle at McClanahan's and you go the other way. That's an unreconciled relationship. It's that that one person where if you know they're going to be at this event or this function, you decline going. Do you have any relationships like that in your life? If, if you have bad blood with various people, any kinds of people in your life, Jesus is saying here, it could be that you and God are not all that good. Like, take inventory of the relationships in your life because that could be a key indicator of just how your relationship with God is going. Because according to Jesus, our vertical ought to impact our horizontal. And get this, it goes the other way too. Did you know that? Our horizontal impacts our vertical. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, just the chapter right before this? He says this, he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you are coming before God in prayer or you're coming to God before in worship and you remember that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Your gift is no good right now. That's what he's saying. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing your gift to the altar. But right now, you got, you got bigger problems. You got bigger fish to fry here. Leave your gift at the altar and go. He says, first, be reconciled to your brother. Forgive your brother. Forgive your sister. And then come and then offer your gift. Our horizontal also impacts our vertical. Forgiveness is ultimately about a restoration of relationship. See, that's actually the goal of forgiveness. When God forgave us our debts, our relationship with God was restored. We already established that. When we forgive one another, our relationship one to another is restored. By the way, some of you have heard of the saying, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? You've heard that, you've heard that term before? You've heard that saying. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, See, I, I think that saying is incredibly helpful and insightful, but I also think it misses the mark for where Jesus is wanting to take us. In fact, I, I, I once heard Tim Keller, a pastor and author, talk about this before. He, he says, the problem with this saying is really the goal. You see, the goal of forgiveness in this particular analogy of that, that whole drinking poison and expecting the other person to die is really largely self-therapeutic. Nothing wrong with self-therapy. But when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he's not talking about self-therapy. In in other words, the end goal here in in, in this sort of saying, right, is to relieve ourselves of the anger and resentment that eats away at us. So that becomes the the goal, right? That's the poison. That's the poison we want to stay away from and not drink. So don't drink that poison becomes the goal, i.e., Let go of your anger, let go of your unforgiveness. Now, that might be a necessary and helpful first step, but that's not all it is. That's only the first step. It's certainly not the end goal for Jesus. Because you may have not drank the poison, but you may still want the other person to die. You ever been there? It's like, ah, I'll let this go, but I hope he gets hit by a truck. I'll let this go, but I hope she dies and rots in misery, right? Like, you know, maybe none of us, you're too holy to say, some of you are like, I would never say that. 
Don't lie to me, okay? I know. Like, you, you, there, there are moments when, like, we don't drink the poison. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm letting this go, but, but, but it doesn't really change our heart towards the other person. In other words, it's possible to release your anger and never be reconciled with the person. See, the end goal for Jesus was never simply about letting go of your anger. That's a helpful first step, but ultimately it was about restoration of relationship. See, that's what forgiveness is ultimately about, a restoring of relationships. I love how Ken Sandy, Ken Sandy is a Christian counselor and an author. He wrote a book called The Peacemaker, and he describes forgiveness in this way. I think this is helpful. He says, forgiveness is neither a feeling nor forgetting nor excusing. Sometimes I, I think we think that's what forgiveness is. It's like, you know, you know I, I'm going to forgive when I feel like it. Or forgiveness is about forgetting. I just forget it and leave it in the past and whatever. Or forgiveness is about excusing. I'm going to rationalize. I'm going to give reasons for why this person did what they did. Forgiveness is, is none of those things. At the end of the day, it's neither a feeling nor forgetting nor excusing. To forgive someone means to release him or her from liability to suffer punishment or penalty. It is the ultimate form of grace. Forgiveness in the eyes of Jesus has never been about releasing our anger, but has always been about restoring our relationship with others. By the way, the only way we can authentically forgive one another, that horizontal relationship can grow and develop, is if we go back to that vertical place and see that that is precisely what Jesus did for us. He released us from the liability to suffer punishment or penalty. In fact, he, he didn't just do that. He did the very opposite of that. He went in. He didn't just release us from the punishment. He then drew near to us, give us to give us life and hope and joy. He is our defender. We sang about it earlier. He doesn't just release us from the punishment and penalty, but he pays it for us so that then he can offer us hope and joy and life. He restores our relationship to the utmost degree. And then, and then, this is what he does. He then turns it around on us, and then he says, now go and do likewise. And this, is, this leads us to our final and third point, and that is forgiveness is not an option. See, when Jesus says, go and do likewise, he's not suggesting that. He's not even strongly recommending that. He's not suggesting, hey, do it when you feel like it. Do it when your heart's ready. And maybe your heart will never be ready, and so you're off the hook. You don't need to forgive. Jesus is commanding us. These are our marching orders from our king. Because remember what Jesus said in today's passage? Verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now listen, I don't say this to scare anyone or to manipulate anyone or to, to, to try to coerce anyone to do something, to do anything. I say this to say, we've got to wrestle with the tough parts of Scripture. And this right here is a tough couple of verses to process. Because if I hear Jesus correctly... And if I hear Jesus saying anything in these couple of verses, I hear him simply saying, this is how seriously my Father in heaven feels about forgiveness. It's not an option. It, it, it's not like when you're good and ready. It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not, you know, hey, 
Maybe you'll never be ready, and so you don't, you, you don't, you don't have forgiveness is not a suggestion. It's a command given to us. And, and so, so, so the Bible, you know, you may already know this, the Bible doesn't speak explicitly on a number of issues. Like, like, for instance, the Bible doesn't tell us how to date. It doesn't give us a step-by-step process on, like, how to date or how to go about pursuing a husband or a wife or, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of career path we should choose, you know, like, the Bible doesn't speak into any of that. The, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us how to go about handling issues of sexual ethics or social uh, reform or, or things, uh, you know, politics of our age or, you know, the, the, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us how to handle much of any of that. Now, we can infer from Scripture and use context clues to arrive at certain conclusions, and that's what most biblical scholars do to arrive at certain places, but the, the truth is the Bible doesn't always speak explicitly on a number of issues. Forgiveness is not one of them. Like, Jesus is painfully clear, crystal clear on where he stands on the issue of forgiveness, and his position Forgiveness is not an option. It's not an option. In fact, it's to be the key marker of the way of Jesus' followers. Like when the world looks at Christians and Jesus' followers, Christ followers, the first thing that they should think of when they see us is, how forgiving are they? What an incredible community of forgiveness and grace. So Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we realize forgiveness is a gift, when we realize forgiveness restores our relationships with God and with one another, our vertical impacts our horizontal, our horizontal impacts our vertical, and forgiveness is not an option, it's not a recommendation, it's not a suggestion, but it's a command. It is our marching orders from King Jesus. All of this, you want to know how this impacts our prayer lives? All of this drives us to a place of prayer that is steeped in deep humility. It drives us to this place of humility. And you want to know something, church? Nothing opens up the ears of God to the prayers of his people than a people praying out of a place of deep humility. How do I know that? Listen to what God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and 15. At this time, the worship team is going to come on up and get ready to close us. But listen to what God says. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, in other words, if they, if they pray from this posture and this position of great humility, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Where's that place? It's the place where humility resides. It's the place where humility dwells. Church, I'm telling you right now, there is something about God's heart that is so drawn to a community that exhibits deep humility. And nothing gets us to that place of humility quicker than habits of forgiveness. Coming to this place. You see, I I am convinced that the reason why so many of us struggle with forgiveness, at least one of the primary reasons, 
is because we believe we deserve better. Like, how dare you offend me in this way? How dare you cut me in this kind of way? I'm worth more. I'm, 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 I'm like, you, I don't deserve that, right? Now, again, I'm not trying to minimize anyone's feelings or anyone's sort of position here. But you take that logic and you overlay that on the gospel. You overlay that on the story of Jesus. It doesn't really hold. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if there's anyone that had the right to say, I don't deserve this. Wouldn't it be the sinless, spotless lamb who knew no sin, who became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God? Like, wouldn't it be him that would be able to say, right? And yet, what, is, what does Jesus do? See, this is why I'm saying, like, as Jesus followers, like one of the key markers for us needs to be the way of forgiveness because what does Jesus do? He says, no, nah, I, I, yeah, I don't deserve this, but Philippians 2, I will humble myself, make myself as that of a servant and empty myself for you, for me. And this causes me to take pause and examine those moments in my life where I've got my arms folded and I'm like, nope, that person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. I can't, I can't, that, that cut too deep for me to extend forgiveness and grace to that person. And then I go back to that place where Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts. God has as we forgive our debtors. God, as we forgive our debtors, so God, forgive us our debts. And over and over again, every day, God, would you forgive us our debts? Because every day we screw it up. Every day we miss the mark. Every day we fall short of the glory of God. And so every day I pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive me of my debts. And oh God, by your grace and by your mercy, would you help me to be forgiving of others? Start walking in that way and see how your prayer life changes. Start adopting those patterns in your life and start seeing how quickly your prayer life changes because it'll drive you to that place of humility and God will hear from heaven and answer.